Extracting Value from a Coal Phase-Out. Interview with Jarish Srimali, Episode 38. Welcome to the My Energy 2050 podcast, where we speak to the people building a clean energy system by 2050. I'm your host, Michael LaBelle. This week, we speak with Jarish Shurimali, pre-court scholar at the Sustainable Finance Initiative at Stanford University. He is also an adjunct professor at John Hopkins University and involved in the climate investment funds. As you'll hear, he has extensive experience understanding risk assessment from both a business and policy perspective. When we invite people onto the podcast, I get to know them first by reading their research and publications. So I can only map the topics we're likely to talk about. The conversation with Jarish quickly expanded beyond his recent work work with the World Bank and into areas like battery storage and new business models is a really fascinating discussion. One of the key takeaways from our conversation is the idea of value at risk and the interrelationship with transition risk. I find Jarish's examination of risk essential for understanding how we accelerate an energy transition. We begin to discuss this about halfway through and it is an essential concept for managers to understand when assessing the value of their asset portfolio. It is also important to understand how established technologies like solar and wind are already undermining coal and gas. We can view activist investors like those from Engine No. 1, which seated new members onto Exxon board as radical energy pioneers. But Jarish and his analysis underlines the importance of risk assessment as the energy transition speeds up. You'll find our discussion worthwhile for understanding risk and how coal and gas are becoming stranded assets with companies unable to extract profits, thereby, actually this is really important, important, threatening the survivability of the companies themselves. They gotta start changing. The intent of the My Energy 2050 podcast is to spread the knowledge about how the energy system can assist our transition towards a greener future. And just a short note, we launched our Patreon page this week. This is a soft launch, meaning like most things here, we learn by doing. So now you can assist the growth of our podcast by sharing our episodes or by going to Patreon and finding the My Energy 2050 podcast page. There's a link here in the show notes. And you can now donate money to help us produce a better podcast and highlight those making a difference in the energy transition. And finally, I just want to thank you for listening. It really does mean a lot that you are finding value in our work and hopefully learning more about the energy transition to assist in your own work. And now for this week's episode. I'm welcoming onto the My Energy 2050 podcast, Garish Srimali, pre-court scholar at the Sustainable Finance Initiative at Stanford University. Garish, thank you for coming on. Thanks for inviting me. Thank you. I'm really excited to have you on. I actually discuss your extensive research on the cost of coal phase out. Uh, What captured my my attention to you was um, the World Bank report looking at coal decommissioning in India. And so I'm hoping to to get into that. But before we begin, I actually have this question I love asking people. And that's how did you become interested in energy? You've, you really write a lot publicly about energy and the transition and sustainable finance now. Um, but but what prompted your interest in this area? Yeah, um, yeah, and I'm glad you asked this because uh, um, 
I used to be an engineer in the in the Silicon Valley, right? So I, um, I, I was I was designing computers and and you know chips and you know very very different from what I do now. Um, and and then I went back to do my PhD after working in the industry for a while, and and uh, I was looking for the kind of the next big thing, <laughs> and and uh, in my journey I found. Uh, um, and kind of, I realized that the next or the biggest problem that we face today is uh, this whole issue of climate change. Um, so it's it's a that's what led me towards climate change. And 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 as I started looking at climate change more closely, I realized that um, given that energy energy sector, the energy sector is uh, in some ways responsible for for a lot of uh, greenhouse gas emissions. That was perhaps the the, the 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 biggest thing we could go after and decarbonize the energy sector so that's what we led me into into looking at the energy sector in terms of uh, not only and and you brought up the whole thing around uh, coal plant retirement um, but but what really initially got me interested was uh, more green technologies how do you deploy more green technologies um and um, you know, I've been working on renewables, and you know, over time, uh, from wind and solar, moved on to battery storage. Um, have also started looking at electric vehicles. But the basic idea is that how do you deploy more of these uh, clean technologies, um, and and how can you design policies and financial instruments? Um, and in that process, uh, um, there is a recent realization that you know you know, that the world is coming to is that if we want to get to the targets, the kind of targets that we are uh, putting forward in terms of net zero by a certain year, most mostly 2050, um, we have to not only deploy more green technologies, but also also retire uh, a, a lot more of the of the brown technologies, which include uh, Obviously, coal is the, in some ways, the the, the first target, but also gas, etc. Um, and maybe you know, going beyond that to um, other fossil fuels um, uh, like oil, etc. Uh, but but the basic idea is, you know, if if we do not retire um, or or kind of in some sense do less uh, of of fossil fuels, uh, even if we keep on doing a lot of green. We are unlikely to reach our targets, and part of the problem is um, there's a lot of inertia in the system. Energy system is not as agile um, as as maybe the information technology, and it is hard to change the status quo. And so that's why it's become interesting to me that you know we need to work on fossil fuel kind of phase out, and and coal is obviously the the, the biggest guy in town at least, or the easiest guy in some ways. Uh, so you I'll may, stop here. But, no, no, yeah. no. That that's a great uh, start and gives me a lot of uh, things to to get into. But I was wondering, just one of your last comments there. Could you compare your um, your experience in working with uh, in Silicon Valley before you became interested in energy? And you mentioned about the adaptability uh, or the the lack or the slow pace of it in the energy sector. Do you see maybe with the newer technologies a, a faster adaptability and fast things speeding up? Yeah, I mean, I think there is. I mean, and the reason there's, um, I mean, also depends on how you're comparing. If you're looking, I think largely the, the we built up this energy system over the last hundred years. <laughs> 
Uh, whereas the, the, the technologies system has been a pretty new thing. So there's this also this kind of mindset that, you know, the technology sector is willing to change. <laughs> um, but and, and the energy sector is it's harder to change, partly because of, of, of just the mentality and, and the status quo or the inertia. But the other issue is um, um, and how 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 dependent are you on 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 expensive infrastructure? And if, if you're like, you know, if you're really, really dependent on expensive infrastructure, the, those systems are harder to change. And that's why, you know, software is the easiest thing to change. You know, I can code something overnight and just disseminate it to people and my, my costs are pretty low. Um, whereas if I have to change the energy system, I mean, if I, I mean, I'm just giving you a yeah. kind of a, uh, you know, a very, very futuristic scenario. I mean, why do we even need power lines to transmit electricity, right? But right now I have the power lines and I have to deal with the power lines or, um, so, so I think there are a lot of interesting things that, that come into play, but I think, uh, uh, now coming to your real question about what has, have things started to change and, and, and there is hope with, 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 you know, integration of technology into, uh, the energy system, right? I mean, what do we call the ICT information communications technology? I think, you know, there is, uh, there is, uh, you know, obviously uh, change can be faster. Uh, for example, this, you know, one, one clear example is uh, using smart meters, right. Uh, at homes to, to kind of manage energy efficiency. There's a very good, good example that there is a marriage, right. Uh, yes. Um, in terms of, uh, I mean, the Google, uh, nest is another big example. Like, I mean, that's helping us save so much energy. And, and then on the other side, um, even managing energy systems um, in terms of resilience um, and, and managing performance of energy systems, I think the ICT is starting to play a huge part. Mm -hmm, yeah. mm -hmm. yeah. And, and that, um, I'm just, what brings to mind, you actually asked about, you know, do we need these electrical lines? Uh, but actually, I think it's a really apt question because, you know, at the present yeah. moment, there's... Uh, uh, blackouts in China, right? So they're not generating the electricity for the factories just to ensure that homes have, have the electricity. Uh, now in the UK, I don't know, there's fuel shortages, right? In Texas, the power lines were frozen. In New Orleans, they built a brand new gas plant under the idea that they could still supply electricity even in a hurricane, and that didn't, that didn't happen. So are we maybe at this point now where this built infrastructure that has, yeah, exactly. They've been built over the past century is just aging out and we can really go to a decentralized system. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, if I, I mean, this is again, kind of futuristic scenario, right. Um, and I come from, um, I came from, as I said, the ICT world, right. And, and, and a very interesting example is the, the, the communications world, right? Um, if you look at the old communications paradigm, it used to be AT&T, Bell Labs, you know, large telephone companies, very centralized infrastructure. And, and the way that's how the phones work, right? Uh, they're very centralized. Um, whereas the, it, the whole thing was appended by computer networks, which is an extremely distributed system. Uh, and it took hold over time. Uh, and computer networks were not designed for speed or efficiency. They were designed for robustness and resiliency. 
um so so i think having having the the, the option to do decentralized generation and consumption is definitely very very exciting and 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 it is a similar paradigm and and it not only gives you adequacy and it doesn't uh, but it also gives you resilience right and and you don't have these high power voltage lines going all over california and causing fires everywhere which is totally true it's a crazy story then isn't it yeah and that kind of goes against i mean if i mean obviously california fires is a different issue and I don't want to get in too much into that, but it, you kind of offset all the good work you're doing in California and mitigation, right? And because you're releasing so much gases because of fires. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's uh, continue. Because one of the areas you, you've published on is about um, storage uh, technologies mm-hmm. and, and developing the market for that. I was just wondering, oh, why doesn't the, and I'll just speak in general terms, I think the study focused on India, uh, or yeah. you can correct me, but uh, why doesn't the the market encourage at the moment? And this is very a very broad question, but why doesn't the market encourage the use of energy storage technologies, maybe advanced systems, battery storage technology? Oh yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I mean to answer this question, if I may take some time, please. Um, um, see, uh, the classically. And this has been the evolution of power markets, right? Classically, uh, how energy was procured was under fixed uh, power purchase agreements um, that specified how much a user or utility would buy um, from a a power generation source uh, at what price, and it was all fixed, right? Um, And over time, um, we have moved towards markets where um, in many cases uh, you have real-time markets, you have day-ahead markets, and you're kind of bidding into those systems to, to, to buy and sell energy. Um, now, this is, again a, this is again an example of evolution, and, and that might have worked well for um, you know, coal power generation or even an even better gas power generation because they, these, these systems have and from you go to coal, coal has uh, half of its lifetime cost as capital expenditure, but the other half is operating expenditure. And gas, it's it's even you know it, the balance is even more tilted in favor of the operating expenditure. So you could actually manage this in real time. Um, but if you if you start moving towards uh, renewable technologies, um, whether it's uh, solar or wind or batteries, uh, most of the cost is in capital expenditure upfront, right? Um, and and um, a, a lot depends on on and, and kind of bring the levelized cost of the average cost of um, you know these these applications down. Um, the cost of capital matters, right? And the cost of capital is 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 most likely to be lower in 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 power purchase agreements that are kind of fixed in nature, not 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 market based solutions. So, mm-hmm. so one of the issues that we have dealt with over the last ten. 12 years is it's it's kind of interesting we're kind of going back to more you know fixed contracts especially if you want to do more solar and wind right um you don't want solar and wind to face the same cost of capital that perhaps a gas asset is facing um with the high cost of capital because if you have higher capital expenditures you suffer more if you have a higher cost of capital now coming to and the, the, the same thing apply would apply to battery storage as well uh, now coming to battery storage itself uh 
battery storage um and and it's 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 an interesting animal because um it's not a hardware play in some sense it's more of a software play uh in the sense um you know it's plugging in the gaps <laughs> it's plugging in the gaps and and so when you plug in the gaps you could do you, you are very flexible you can do multiple things um the idea is that oh you will be able to compete in multiple markets right um and 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 you could you could compete in the energy market you can compete in the ancillary services market um you, you can um, you know uh, uh, you know uh, participate in a resiliency market whatever um but but you know when when you have to uh, participate in a market it creates a lot of uncertainty for the investor right and investors looking at and, and deploying this new technology right and and they don't have a good sense of where the revenues are going to come from <laughs> uh and and so so it's hard to forecast revenues and then on top of that because of this uncertainty the cost of capital goes up and both of these in some ways go against battery storage investment um so so what we are saying is that it's not that battery storage uh, should not play in markets but at the initial stages when you're trying to de- deploy battery storage you're trying to show proof of concept perhaps it's easier to t- think of having battery storage under you know fixed contracts where where you kind of give investors certainty and and kind of the utility basically or or the buyer basically then uses the battery storage for whatever they want to use it for uh but give the investor the private investor the certainty and as the markets mature maybe then you can let it go to back to market so that was the whole argument mm-hmm. and you mentioned about filling in the gaps the battery storage could fill in the gaps what what kind of gaps are are there that it could help with I mean the easiest one is as I mentioned right I mean it's the energy right I mean for 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 people who don't follow this for example um if you look at California and many other places we are starting to see this because of very high penetration of solar um we have something called the duck curve uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and and the duck curve has to do with um if you look, duck curve has to do with you're looking at the net demand which is demand minus supply right um and if you look at uh, systems that are heavy with solar suddenly solar disappears around 4 or 5 in the evening and you again that you know you had the net supply uh, net demand being very low when the solar was there because solar was able to supply all of that um suddenly solar disappears and the net demand just kind of just blows up um and puts a lot of stress on the system because now at that time suddenly if we have like this steep uh kind of increase in the net demand which has to be actually fulfilled by something else um and it could be again you know coal plants are not suitable for doing these fast ramp ups uh so either you go to gas natural gas or you go to battery storage and 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 so so that's one example but i could talk about other examples where um when you're trying to do load following or you want to do frequency regulations which are like shorter time scales uh battery storage is a much faster response than anything else you can think of right mm-hmm. so 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 that's where we are and but but the, the 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 on the flip side just to finish the story is the battery storage is still there for kind of i would say you know seconds or minutes to a few hours kind of duration of of what you call system flexibility services which is essentially in my mind is an imbalance supply demand imbalance but 
battery storage is not cost competitive beyond like, you know, four hours or so. Uh-huh. But it's those seconds and minutes, right? Where they could really make some money then in, in regulating the system. Yes, they can. But the, the, the thing is, uh, let's, let's pick the example of frequency regulation. And actually, you had asked me this question about um, whether we have done work mostly on India, but we, we just recently are coming out with some case studies um, on, on California and Hawaii and looking at business models. And, and in that process, we also ended up looking at the, you know, the PJM market. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and the thing is, the, the thing is battery storage can help with frequency regulation. Frequency regulation is one of these uh, services where, where your, uh, short-term mismatches can, can cause the frequencies to drift. Um, Which and, you, and you have to coming. keep it stable in the, in the system. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, and, and the thing is, um, but that, and the PJM market is an interesting example that um, of, of this, this, Frequency regulation, but the, the 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 issue there was that the the market is very shallow, and you have to also look at how how big is the market. Is it a, a multi-million dollar market, or hundreds of millions of dollars of market, or multi-billion dollar market? And most of the market for energy storage is going to be in energy arbitrage, what we call it, moving energy around. Um, frequency regulation, uh, the market is 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 pretty shallow, even though the profits are high. Okay. So again, you have to look at you know different applications, and and the PJM. What happened was the, the there was a market being created, and then they changed some regulation, the market collapsed. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the investors that were there l- lost money then, or they lost. I mean, retroactively, they started losing money, and that kind of shut down the market. So that's that's an example of like you know if you're doing. Uh, creating uh, in a regulation around markets, uh, at least be consistent. Okay. Okay. And then now you say you're coming out with these, these studies on the business models as well. Are the business models shifting or are they still heavily reliant on, we could say regulation that accepts or rejects certain business models into connecting to the grid or, or maybe it's homeowners. No, I mean, we looked at all of these business models. We looked at what you call the front of the meter, uh, behind the meter, and and the combination of two, because that's the other thing about battery storage is that even if it's behind the meter, it could be aggregated and, and used for front of the meter applications uh, when when it's not being used for, um, you know, for, for, for at home or a, a, the commercial uh, real estate. Um so wait, um, uh, behind the meter is it's connected to the grid? Is that right? Behind the meter is also connected to the grid, but it's 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 at, at home. So it's 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 behind the meter, right? Like just think of a, uh, a Tesla Powerwall, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, <laughs> uh, that's that's behind the meter, right? It's it's sitting at home, whereas ahead of the meter is like you've gone ahead and you kind of start to participate in the distribution grid or you'd start to participate in, even in the transmission grid services, right? Uh-huh, so that, uh-huh. there needs to be some kind of aggregator that kind of starting to manage all that. Um, yeah, um, but the point I was trying to bring forward, whether it's California or Hawaii, um, what these are the two states we looked at, and, and then obviously we ended up looking at PJM, is both of these states are kind of... Um, for trying to provide some security to the investors to get the investments in. And even even what the paper we did recently for India on saying, hey, you have to create a policy and you have to give certainty was pretty much based on our work in Hawaii. If you look at the Hawaii contract, 
it's 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 called renewable dispatchable generation which is which is what it says is that um let's 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 commit to having uh, paying to the battery you know installer uh, uh, on a fixed uh, power purchase agreement and then and the buyer of that uh, yeah, and and the kind of the, the the buyer side of the contract has then control over that battery and they can do what they need to do to manage the system. Okay, okay, and that gives them greater flexibility, then, doesn't it? With turning on, turning off, the things yeah, that they can do, it, it just gives them control. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, um, so you mentioned the duck curve, and the duck curve essentially because there's so much solar coming online and installed in homes or well everywhere yeah. uh, that that the uh, power from say coal fired uh, powered plants are not needed during the day but then in the evening you have this problem because the sun goes away and then they yeah. got to ramp up which is harder to do coal uh, or nuclear at shorter notice yeah mm-hmm. and and uh, are there solutions to this is it is it just battery storage technology is is a long term solution connecting solar and batteries or are there some other technologies that might be more acceptable over the longer term? I think batteries is the main one. I mean, in absence of batteries, it's most likely to be natural gas, right? Um, um, and batteries is considered to be, I mean, again, when I say batteries, I mean, storage, right? Um, so uh, I think there are different kind of batteries that are being used for different kind of applications, but batteries is, in in my mind, it's and perhaps I'm uh, jumping ahead. If I if I envisage a power system in 2050, right? Um, um, my sense is, and it's a like power system. It's is is essentially you have a lot of wind and solar, right? Um, and 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 this is the power system that's that's you know, close to 100% green, and then it has batteries to 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 do the. You know, the, the the minutes to a few hours kind of system balancing, and then as you start going towards longer term storage, then uh, again you can think about longer term storage batteries like flow batteries. Um, but if you start going into days and months kind of storage, then then the next big kind of kind of uh, hope is green hydrogen mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that we haven't talked much about, right? So. That's what it looks like a complete system to me, right? Now, there are potentially, in my mind, uh, potential still plays for carbon captures and uh, sequestration, which is CCS, or, or nuclear power. But if, I, if, if, the, if the momentum that I've seen so far behind wind and solar, if, if that tells me anything, it's it, the, the, this renewables plus battery storage plus green hydrogen is likely to be it unless there are some significant roadblocks in, in kind of battery storage is already here um, unless there are significant roadblocks in developing green hydrogen, which I don't think is oh. likely to happen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We'll move on to the hydrogen. I wanted to kind of focus on the risks again, but you also um, have done research and you explained the value at risk and the interrelationship with transition risk. Can you describe that a bit more? And I actually have their Medium article in front of me. Um, I think I think maybe these are two, two separate things, but can you explain what value at risk is? Oh, okay. Yeah, I think we're shifting gears a little bit. Um, so... Okay. Um, just to maybe, maybe. <laughs> Sorry, to... I, I like that's a, like surprise. So 
<laughs> yeah that's a surprise for the listeners right but <laughs> happy to happy to go into this so so this is again a little bit of kind of um maybe sharing some basic concepts first before we go to value at risk right mm-hmm. so uh, and shifting gears a little bit um we are looking at climate change as as a potentially a financial risk right uh to financial risk to assets on ground or companies or even countries okay and and the idea is that um and just to take an example so this is so just to kind of clarify uh, because that example will help us understand what i mean by value at risk when i talk about it so so let's say i'm a i'm a you know coal power plant or I am a coal power, uh, an independent power producer who has coal, predominantly coal power, coal power plants, right? Um, so the whole business model uh, is, is is structured around, you know, I, I'm going to build this uh, coal power plant, um, I'm going to make an investment, and I'm going to recover my investment. And, and just to simplify the matter for now, uh, I'm going to recover my investment through a, a merchant a power market like Texas. I'll be selling my coal power into Texas because I have a forecast on on how much um, how much uh, power or energy demand that Texas would have, right? Mm-hmm. Um, independent of 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 how much um, how much demand or how much you know pressure uh, Texas would create on how much renewable energy they want to have in the system. Okay. Right? Okay. That's the, that's the that's the kind of the competing factor, right? Um, because if my projections for my coal power generation are based on the premise that Texas will have, I'm again throwing out a number, just ten percent of their power from renewable energy, and that's my business as usual scenario, right? Yes. Uh-huh. Um, and then then it turns out that because of a policy, right? which is Texas says tomorrow that they have signed up for the net zero target. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they say they're going to just go completely renewable or, um, you know, so that's a purely policy driven thing, but it could also be cost driven, right? I mean, if Texas figures out or, you know, it's that they're letting it's in market, anybody can compete in the market. So now it turns out that, you know, where coal power was bidding into the market, now solar and batteries can bid in much cheaper and they get the uh, you know the, the 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 they get to sell energy at a cheaper price so th- so the point i'm trying to make is that what i'm talking about in broad term is something called transition risk mm-hmm. the system is transitioning right the system is transitioning because of many different ways a because policy might change um the, the costs might change you know and you know all that is happening so so what happens is that if, if the system transitions from your business as usual scenario where you've done your financial modeling and you say, hey, um, I'm going to make this much money, which is in some sense called value creation, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you value essentially means uh, how much money I'm, I'm going to make in today's term, which is the net present value concept, right? Um, if I go under a transition where you know I have a high renewable scenario, so called it, so so called high renewable scenario, um, 
the 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 my value today could go significantly down because of that transitional scenario that i perhaps didn't model for mm-hmm. so the difference between my kind of my estimate of value in a business as usual scenario which perhaps had high call um and and uh, so i have that number x and then i have another number y under a high renewable scenario called y the difference between x and y is the value at risk mm-hmm. so a lot of the analysis that people are doing today is is figuring out under these so called transition scenarios uh what is the value at risk for for especially fossil fuel heavy um assets and industries and and business models right yes um so so that's the that's the concept and i kind of took a detour and explained this in longer kind of because i i thought perhaps that was useful but happy to answer any follow up questions on that yeah yeah no no it was an excellent explanation and and um i'm going to ask you questions that you may not have the answers to i think those are the best kind of questions to ask <laughs> okay. and this value at risk i mean it could this be used as a way to phase out faster fossil fuel uh plants or just anything because if we can kind of assess how many years it would take to phase out certain coal-fired power plants and you do this well in the study on india um then we could put a value on that and phase these power plants out at a, at a faster pace while maybe paying to have them decommissioned does that make sense or is that possible yeah um well well the value at risk and i i'm i'm going to steer this conversation towards a little bit towards how do we take care of the coal plants um the value at risk concept could be used um uh, uh, the primary use of the value at risk concept would be to say um hey think about if you're a fossil fuel heavy uh, entity or a generator think about changing your portfolio towards a, a more greener portfolio and 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 so it's it's basically called scenario analysis right in in business right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um um but now coming to maybe a slightly different aspect which is what if i already have these coal assets <laughs> yes um and 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 what do we do about those coal assets and that kind of leads into uh are there ways to um kind of you know perhaps uh, in a, in a, in a, in, a, in a, a transition scenario that has high renewables or high kind of the net zero kind of scenarios we might have to even start retiring some of these existing coal plants and how do you do it in an effective way um that again um gets into slightly different kind of analysis and you can connect it to value in some slightly different sense and i i may define value is slightly differently there right mm-hmm. um and and the value or the way i will define differently is that um and and if if i may take a few minutes is to say um you know if if i'm thinking of retiring an existing coal plant uh, early uh, how do we do that right and and obviously there are many ways that have been suggested uh which uh, 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 simplest is that to you refinance the existing coal plant at a much cheaper rate of capital and and lot of multilateral banks and 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 think tanks are coming up with different ideas um one is called securitization which can retire contracted assets 
in a faster way. Um, another is you create a new fund that kind of buys off uh, existing coal plants and retires them early because they have access to concessional capital, right? Um, but connecting back to your your kind of question around value, um, let's define value a slightly different way. Um, if we could somehow take these existing coal plants, right, and and just not retire them, but think of um, what kind of benefits we could gain from from retiring the coal plants and and fossil fuel plants and repurposing them with um, perhaps uh, renewable energy plants or renewable energy plus battery storage or something like that. So just go from brown to green as opposed to saying, oh, I'm not going to do brown. You know you're going to do more green stuff. Um, and so this this that allows you to kind of look at, okay, if I'm decommissioning or retiring a coal plant, maybe there are some costs associated with that. But if I could use the same land and you can use the same infrastructure, maybe I can, you know, get some benefit out of that and and that maybe helps me reduce the cost of uh, um, um, uh, you know installing more renewable energy or more more green infrastructure and so in 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 a way i could look at that cost benefit analysis it's more classic cost benefit analysis where i'm kind of creating value by going directly from a coal plant to a renewable plant by by kind of uh, looking at cost benefit and not just cost. Mm -hmm. So, so are we kind of moving more towards the repurposing uh, work that I've done, but I just want to kind of, kind of differentiate, right? Because there's well, one is value at risk, which we do in financial sector. And now we're kind okay. of talking about on ground kind of, uh, kind of more real work. Right? The value. Okay. So, so let's stay on the ground first and then, then we'll go back to the value at risk and essentially portfolio management and the value, yeah. the value on the ground uh, so maybe the way to look at it is right. The location, uh, there's existing yeah. power lines, the existing infrastructure, not just the coal plant itself. Is that, is that right? Yeah. yeah so if you look at, um, the, the benefits that you get by this so-called repurposing, right. Which we take a, a coal plant that you retire and decommission, right. But then you repurpose, um, to 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 deploy maybe solar and battery storage and 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 you what you want to make sure is that and what it also allows you uh, and I'll talk a little bit about it um, but the benefits are many fold right benefits are um, a I mean I could sell the metal right uh, that it's called the scrap value and 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 use that towards what I'm gonna do invest uh, in the new technology I got some extra money. I could use the land, obviously land, and especially in developing countries or countries that are, have uh, restrictions on how they can obtain land, that, that would be a big benefit. But in addition, um, these coal power plants already have access to the transmission infrastructure. I mean, in many, many, many countries, just getting access to this infrastructure is not easy. So you can do a lot of the stuff. Um, and, and you can get pretty creative. Um, you can also start using not only the land or or, or the transmission and um, distribution, kind of the infrastructure of the transformers and the connections to the grid. You can start repurposing some of the existing um, um, parts of the the, uh, the coal plant. And, and uh, for example, um, the turbo generators in a coal plant can be repurposed to be a synchronous condenser. 
mm-hmm. and and uh, start providing some reactive power to the grid. You know, it's now we're getting very technical and it's perhaps going even beyond my, my uh, expertise. But those are the options, right? Um, and then even beyond that, um, you are starting to perhaps, and, and you're starting to address in this process a lot of the pushback against, you know, coal plant retirement, which has to do with the just transition, right? Yes. Uh, what happens to the communities? <laughs> um, so obviously you're not completely solving the problem because uh, a renewable energy plant might need fewer people than a coal energy plant, but you can start uh, employing some of the people that might get laid off. Uh, the communities that are kind of dependent on, on this and, and they may be um, brought back in. Uh, a lot of time the pushback comes from uh, local taxes getting disappeared. Um, and so, so if you're kind of deploying uh, a new plant in the, in the place of an existing plant, you know, you can start getting, um, you know, uh, local taxes is not an issue. And obviously then you start, and these are perhaps, uh, you know, as I'm talking about this, we're going from more direct benefits to more intangible benefits. Yes. And, and then you can start talking about intangible benefits, but, uh, Still, many kind of in in between benefits are like water, right? I mean, coal plants use a lot of water, and a renewable energy plant may not use much water. Um, so it helps the community in kind of you know conserving water. Um, health benefits, right? I mean, communities living cold close to coal plants, they have a lot of health problems. Uh, that's hopefully starts going away, and then you can go even farther out and start talking about uh, carbon dioxide, right, and greenhouse gases. So. I mean, that was the whole idea of the World Bank paper, and I'm just kind of going back to that, right? It's to kind of show that there's so many benefits, and if you can kind of account for that, that helps you make a better case in a net benefit, uh, from a net benefit perspective to to kind of um, show that there is economic value, but it also helps you kind of address a lot of the pushback that you get against um, you know, coal mine closure or, or coal plant retirement. But I'll stop here. Hopefully that was useful. No, no, it's it really useful. And it, I think it goes to one of my, actually maybe my secondary question I had from, from that study was how do you, what are the benefits um, that can be accrued by, I would say a, you know, what is there? There's a controlled explosion and uncontrolled explosion. And in this sense, there's a, a controlled phase out where you consider all these factors. Like you, if, if an investor, right, because they want to maximize their, their investment and their money. So they want to think about, yeah, what to do with the turbines, for example, or do, what do we do with the site? What, what part is good for residential or industrial development and, and all these things. And if we're thinking about a, a phase out, and I think it's very realistic and actually much more tangible to talk about a, a coal facility itself and all the benefits, direct benefits and indirect benefits that we can gotten from that by doing a controlled phase out, basically, is, uh, is does, does, I, I'm trying to find a question. These are my statements. So, so, yeah, yeah. but, but it makes sense then to be much more in control from a policy perspective in phasing out these coal-fired power plant sites, so that they can, the the value can be maximized for each site. Yeah, yeah, and I think uh, I think that's why. Um, and I mean, I mean, the question could be. I mean, one of the question could be. I mean, this doesn't have to be like overnight, right? You can, if you can, 
if you can align the incentives, right? I mean, if, if you're a private guy whose incentive was to maximize generation from a coal plant, then that person would keep on generating as much coal power as possible and pollute and all that stuff. But now if I change ownership, and this is what has been proposed to the World Economic Forum, and um, I've heard uh, many multilaterals talk about it, including Asian Development Bank, where the idea is to create a fund that takes over um, and, uh, existing coal plants with a different ownership structure. And, and where the owners are hopefully better aligned towards kind of phasing out that plant and, and minimizing generation. Obviously, they have to make sure that they have to get their returns on this investment. But by using concessional terms, um, uh, you could, and this is something I've started to think about, um, if you bring in concessional capital, um, you know, some preliminary analysis that I did was, and, you know, uh, is that for every percentage point uh, a reduction in the cost of capital, maybe I can retire the coal plant a year or two earlier, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. just because my return expectations are lower. I don't have to operate the coal plant much, much longer. Or uh, now that I'm very aligned on with the environmental angle, I say if I retire early, I could perhaps claim carbon credits and and use those carbon credits to retire it even further earlier, right? So it doesn't mean that you do it like overnight. You could do it in a more controlled manner, and but it's it's about in the political economy terms aligning the incentives properly. Right, right. So it's about uh, yeah changing the owner's incentives so that uh, yeah. they're incentivized to maximize the, the value, but not just from power generation. Yeah, it's a social societal value. A societal right? value, right? And then, then you know, obviously, we could put the environmental or even carbon pricing. These these types of yeah. things could be yeah. Uh, yeah. part part of the equation. Then, so then, then that brings us back to the because uh, I really like the idea of value at risk, uh, yeah. and and you you bring on it, uh, you, you touched on it just now again. I think, and this is almost the scenario where Exxon, for example, had activist shareholders taking over the company by uh, with the idea that. Exxon or other oil companies need to do more to phase away or to transition away from oil and gas. Is this is this the area where this value at risk? Their assisting their existing reserves are are seen as a risky asset now, and that they need to invest their money in other assets. Yeah, I mean, so the see the value at risk. The whole concept is that. Look, um, when 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 businesses make decisions, um, they, I mean, one of the methods is that they're working on expectations, right? Um, and 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 when you work on expectations, you you try to create scenarios and assign probabilities to those scenarios, and then you say, I, I'll try to do an expectation, um, um, and and something that like that can be done for climate, but it's harder. So, so what you get into doing is uh, because assigning those probabilities to those scenarios has proven really hard because it's, a lot of that is endogenous to the system. It's not exogenous to the system. But um, so, so, so one thing that people have been doing is 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 um, uh, doing scenario analysis where you want to say what is my best case, what's my worst case, and I, you know, I want to make sure that you know I'm I'm 
getting ready for the worst case outcomes, right? And at least even if I'm not completely changing uh, my behavior today, I'm creating an option value for myself in case some of these scenarios start playing out, right? And so the whole idea is that, um, and this is something we're thinking about from an academic perspective, is that how do you, if not completely changing your behavior today, how do you start creating real options for yourself where, um, you know, you are able to switch quickly or in, in a short period of time and you're not taken by surprise. And it's a hard question because if you're infrastructure heavy company, those transitions don't come quickly. But I'll just end with an example, right? Um, um, uh, when we did our analysis and that was the specific analysis on the coal dependent companies in India, we looked at key players, right? We looked at a, um, the largest coal power producer in India. NTPC. We looked at um, the Coal India Limited, which is the largest coal mine owner and and coal producer. And then we looked at Indian Railways, which which kind of a lot of whose revenue depends on just transporting coal. And we are saying, look, you have a lot of value at risk. You know, we we quantified like you know about ten billion dollars, ten billion dollars of of value at risk um, in the next ten years. And and all we are saying is, look, that's just the first step assessing that risk is just the first step, but how would you manage it? So let's start thinking about management of that risk by, by starting to diversify options, starting to create, you know, um, maybe real options for yourself. And, and some of the stuff is already starting to play out, right? What we suggested that, and that the NTPC, this, you know, and this is fairly obvious stuff. If you look in retrospect, right? Instead of doing just be aggressive on coal, get more aggressive on solar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, um, easier for NTPC because they're a power producer. They could just tomorrow say, we won't do any more coal, go to solar. Um, harder for Coal India, right? Um, which the whole model is around coal, right? That's the name. But <laughs> yeah, that's cool. But, and actually, NTPC is also National Thermal Power Corporation, right? Uh-huh. Thermal, but. <laughs> But but I think there is hope, right? I mean, and it's not going to happen overnight, but if you buy into, I mean, you could be completely blind to the transition and say, I'm just going to do what I want to do. Or you start diversifying where you say, yeah, I mean, I'm an in Coal India also, and this is something we didn't write much about, but you could potentially look into, if you're a mining expert, you get into, okay, what does the green transition bring me? And the green transition perhaps is going towards uh, battery storage. And I'm a mining expert. I'll get into uh, mining of uh, rare earth metals. And so start shifting my resources towards that. Or um, I start investing, you know, in more, um, you know, maybe if I have access to not coal power, but like if I have access to gas, um, I start thinking about blue hydrogen, if not green hydrogen. You know, so there are ways. And and this is some of the work we've started to do at Stanford here, right? We're starting to look at all these uh, petroleum majors are starting to look at blue hydrogen as a potential way to manage the transition. So there are different ways that you could manage it. Mm-hmm. And and in one sense, I don't want to characterize our conversation, but we, we've spoken about policies um, and creating uh, transition and maybe forcing companies to change. 
but the cost of the technology itself, like solar, can actually yeah. drive and make yeah. these companies uh, more exposed to risk. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's what I meant by, I mean, transition risk is just not policy, right? It's the cost. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, of other technologies, and, the, the competitive yeah. te te exactly. technology. Yeah, yeah, uh -huh. yeah. And then that's the case, what, in India now, even uh, in the United States, the cost of solar uh, is, is below that of coal. Is it it's everywhere. Or? It's yeah, in everywhere. many jurisdictions. The, the, I mean, my, some of my India work was motivated by some of the work I saw happening here in, in, the, in the U.S., where some of my colleagues were working on, um, you know, contracted uh, coal assets um, in, 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 in many of the states in the U S, um, where, um, and, and, you know, that's where perhaps we end our conversation, but what we started to see was that, um, the, and this is the interesting fact that people miss out on. And that's why I keep on stressing on it. The, in many cases, in many jurisdictions, the, 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 levelized cost, which is the average cost of power from a renewable source, right, is cheaper than the variable cost of power from a coal plant, right? So if, if we are talking economics, right, and we, I'm here now and I look forward, I'm better off buying power from a new renewable energy plant as opposed to an existing coal power plant. And that's where the, the, the whole rationale comes in for shutting that coal power plant down because I can actually might as well go for a new uh, renewable energy plant. So that's that's what has started to change the conversation. Mm -hmm. Great. Girish, okay, we'll, we'll keep it there. We'll just, I, I like ending the conversation on it's definitely cheaper to go with solar rather than coal. I think that's the... The, and wind and, and wind, wind and wind as, as well right and then we didn't get into green hydrogen but but let's leave it yeah. for that uh which and 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 now just to just to if i may have a final comment yeah. is um battery storage is becoming so cheap that now renewables plus storage is getting cheaper than coal um i don't think it's new i don't think it's existing coal yet but it will get there uh, but definitely new coal. And that's where the whole conversation started, even with wind and solar. First, it was compared to new coal. Then we got into this thing with the cost reduction that it's actually cheaper than old coal. And battery storage and renewables are going to get into that. It's the downward trend for, for a lot of these technologies. So, yeah. So the, the, the energy transition, I don't want to say we don't need policy. The policy is super important. But actually even just the market price itself will drive this transition as well. Well, the policy has to create the market. <laughs> That's where the thing is. So the market has to be created with by the policy to bring in mm -hmm. uh, the initial deployment. Yes, yes. And, and, you know, the classical learning by doing and getting it to scale. And once it gets to scale, then, you know, you can let the markets take over. But the issue is that you create those markets through policy, through regulation, through subsidies, especially in the early stages of the technology when the, the green technologies are more expensive. Mm -hmm. so. Excellent. All right, Girish. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode. We produce the My Energy 2050 podcast to learn about cutting edge research and the people building our clean energy system. 
If you enjoyed this episode or any episode, please share it. The more we spread our message of the ease of an energy transition, the faster we can make it. You can follow us on LinkedIn, where we are the most active on the My Energy 2050 webpage, or on Twitter and Facebook. I'm your host, Michael LaBelle. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. Thank you.